Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the first of our monthly Bike Radar podcasts. We're going to talk about various bits of tech from road and mountain bikes. Today, joined with Matthew Allen from Bike Radar and Warren Roster, who's our senior road technical editor. We're going to chat about e-road bikes, e-mountain bikes. Uh, We're going to talk about helmet tech, SRAM access and super high-end bikes as well and where they're coming from. So um, I think we'll crack on with e-bikes first. Uh, I've just recently rode... Um, the Look e-road bikes, and they've got this Fazio motor, which is sort of slightly different to a lot of the motors out there on the market. Um, it's an integrated system with the battery and the motor all in one, which then sort of keys into a bottom bracket system. Um, Warren, you've ridden it a fair bit as well. Yeah, I've tried it originally last year when Focus, I think, were one of the first to adopt it on the Paralane Squared, mm-hmm. um, and it did impress me then. Um, I think... It's a system that would, uh, that really integrates well on the higher end because mm-hmm. um, I've also recently ridden the Pinarello Dogma with it fitted. Uh, and again, I was quite impressed. And Cubes Agree, um, they've done like a hybrid version that, again, uses that, that Fazal system. And it is, it's good, but it's not... If you're used, to, used in any way to riding e-bikes, you know, mm-hmm. your typical e-bike with like Shimano or Bosch or Yamaha or whatever, it's not that. It's something else. It's, um, it, you know, it's like just enough assistance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you found the... The, the same sort of thing. It doesn't give you that big talky grunt of a... You yeah, know. it's kind of like a little push on your backside. Yeah, sort yeah of. it's like just having a mate, just giving you just giving you a gentle hand up, yeah. uh, you know, um, up, the, up the steep stuff. Um, but it is impressive. And when you... And, and, I, and I don't know if you got the chance to try it on the look, but when I was riding the, the Focus, the, the Focus was sort of a... around about 11 kilo bike. Mm. But then you can take that system off and it comes with a cover plate, Mm -hmm. put a cover plate on it and you're left with like an eight kilo road bike. Yeah. Which is kind of heavy, but it's not... But it's got like that big BB system, which is inherent. It's about a kilo, I think, looks like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it it does basically rides like a, you know, a bike, a normal bike, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you you know, you've got the freedom on it that you could upgrade a weight. You could put lighter wheels on it. You could, you know, make lots of changes, lots of adaptations to the system to... uh, um, to to make a better bike overall, mm-hmm. I guess. Did you last year? You did a feature, didn't you, on e road bikes riding to and from work when you commuted? Well? A while ago, yeah, I had the giant one, which was their first entry into the road bike market. They use Yamaha's Sync Drive system, um, and I'm I'm actually really intrigued about the Fazio based ones as a contrast because the thing I found with something like the Giant is it it's a very heavy bike. I think the I think it's about 18 kilos mm-hmm. all up, and you it's not designed to be ridden without the motor and battery. That's just not an option. And that means that, yes, it's a very capable bike going up hills mm-hmm. under power, but in every other respect, it's a very heavy bike, and it doesn't really fit in with kind of conventional road riding. Yeah. And conceptually, I think it's interesting that things like the Fazio might actually mix in with normal bikes. It's the thing I, uh, that's surprising with the, the look was that 
with the mountain bike e-bikes that are ridden, when you hit that 15.5 mile an hour limit or the 25k pitch where it, where it cuts out, from that 15 mile an hour to about 20 miles an hour, it feels like a very heavy... Yeah, it's like, and some bikes, it's like hitting a brick wall when you hit that limiter. Yeah, yeah. they're quite Suddenly, difficult. it's just a really crap bike. With the Fazua, I'm not entirely sold on it, but I felt that it once you're above the assistance, it actually didn't feel particularly compromised on the road bikes. No, ridden. no, not at all. It feels like there is very... The, the issue with There's the very little resistance. It's the resistance yeah. in the cranks that causes sort of this dead feeling to those bikes, and it doesn't seem to have that. Yeah, I mean, I know what you, you mean with the giant, because I tried the flat bar fast road yeah. um, last year. And again, I, you know, on hills, like, there's so much torque there, so much power. Yeah, it makes you feel like a total hero. But the thing is, when you go out riding it, you actively look for the hilliest routes you can take. Because mm-hmm. you think, on the flat, this is going to be a pain. Yeah. Because I'm going to get past that 15 and a half mile an hour thing, and then I'm just going to be, oh, mm-hmm. oh Yeah, well, I find oh, that God. with that very low limit, which is something else to talk about because in yeah. this country we're stuck with that as far as we know for the foreseeable future. You end up yo-yoing just above yeah, the limit, ex- dropping back yeah, down. I had to exactly it. that recently with um, like an urban specialised, mm-hmm. the Vado Turbo. Again, brilliant system, and it just punches you up to 15 and a half mile an hour so quickly. Yeah. But then you spend your whole time yo-yoing between no power, power, no power, power. And it had a real detrimental effect on the range of the bike. It's like mm-hmm. if the if that limit had been lifted to say twenty mile an hour, I actually fully believe that the range of that bike would go up mm-hmm. because the system is constantly switching itself off on and off, and that's got to be having a you know a detrimental effect on the battery life. And it feels that that, that speed limit, especially when we're talking about urban bikes and road bikes, people cr- you cruise at eighteen miles an hour, right? Like yeah. when I you know if I ru- on a road ride, I'll be doing eighty miles an hour on average. Yeah, and with an e bike, so that was maybe the thing about that that look that was interesting was that it didn't feel too much of an issue. What I then did, so I, I rode the look two or three weeks ago, and then came back to the UK, did all stuff, and then the next bike, mountain bike that I had was a Lapierre E-Zesty. And they're one of few mountain bike brands using this same system in their mountain bike. So it's quite interesting to jump from road to off-road because it, it felt that the E-mountain bikes that you ride, you get that kicky punch that, you know, sort of you described with that Yamaha motor on, on that E-road bike. Yeah. that you get with the Shimano Steps, that you get with the Bosch Performance CX, whatever it is. And the Fazua doesn't have, as we said, it feels different. So that that Lapierre yeah. feels almost like a mountain bike. Yeah, and I think with the Fazio system as well, it's quite smart in the way it delivers power because mm. it's it's a really nice, smooth curve. Curve on and curve off as yeah. well. Yeah, so you get none of the jerkiness. You get mm. none of that, that kind of sudden launch of torque. So it just feeds in alongside you to the point where sometimes, say if you're on a, you know, just like a 4% gradient, when you're not, nothing too steep, mm. you find yourself thinking, is this helping or not? Is it, is it actually, is it on? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, I think the thing I found on the Lapierre, though, is like we sort of discussed, is when when you're getting towards the end of its battery life, it that punchiness, it does have punchiness at the right cadence, at the right speed, but it seems to tail off as the battery life seems to get towards yeah, the end. Yeah, it almost it's seems to... Die a little bit. Or protect its life, as mm-hmm. it were. You know, it doesn't want... You know, I think it just doesn't want to just switch off. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the bikes that I've just been been testing recently, I had... Uh, I've got... A, there's a Fazua bike there. Um, the Z-Bike Motion as well, which is a really sort of similar similar thing to what Fazura are doing, although theirs is rear hub mounted. Mm-hmm. And then I had a Bosch system on a on a Cannondale Synapse Neo, which is the SE version, which is almost like a gravel bike. Right. And then um Bianchi's um 
Polini equipped bike, which they're a motorcycle and scooter parts manufacturer that are mm-hmm. based just down the road from Bianchi. So they've okay. used this e-motor. And that thing has got, you know, that thing is really, really punchy. Mm-hmm. And that that um, EU speed limit reg, of which is around 15 and a half miles an hour, there is sort of under the law, there's like a 10% leeway. And it's hilarious. I mean, it's not a great looking bike by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Not compared to, I did the Aria e-road. Mm-hmm. Um for cycling plus a couple of issues back and again that's e-bike motion mm-hmm. and that looks exactly like the area mm-hmm. you know it's an aero road bike good looking aero road bike and you're really hard pushed to tell that it's an e-bike yeah the e-bike motion system is, is a rear hub but on a modern bike with a wide cassette with like an 1132 on the back the and you've got a disc rotor on the other side you can't actually tell it's an e-bike yeah you're just getting this you know mm-hmm. and fuzzy are the same though fuzzy uh, yeah if you look at yeah. the, the profile of those look bikes they don't look particularly yeah. out of place in this world of, you know, like deep down tubes and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. They look pretty, pretty smart. And because, you know, with the, and, you know, just, just talking about e-bike motion um, for a sec, their rear hub system and still with an internal battery and everything, it, you know, um, I, that system has really impressed me. I've used it on a couple of Orbeas, mm-hmm. including an Orbea gravel bike, which it was great fun on. Um, an e-bike motion is controlled. Well, you know, the system you can you can tune or whatever through an app which just links up really nice and easily yeah. but also through that app you can link to any bluetooth heart rate monitor so mm-hmm. if you want to go out and just ride you know do you know a steady sort of zone two or three ride you can set your heart rate parameters on it and mm-hmm. it will bring assistance in to keep your heart rate down as it were yeah you know so it, it almost becomes like a training aid uh-huh. so that you you know if you're doing that kind of you a know, zone three ride a zone, zone three four. ride it, it will help you know, it will manage you sort of thing. And, okay. you know, that is a kind of an interesting, an interesting mm-hmm. way to go. Um, you know, I was chatting to one of my, one of my neighbours who's a long time, you know, lifetime cyclist and used to own um, one of the biggest bike shops locally. Uh, he's retired now, he's in his 70s. And obviously, you know, lifetime cyclist, absolutely loves it. But had a major heart attack a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I live, the, the town I live in, you can't exit the town in any direction without going up a big hill. Right. And so he's still riding his bike, but he's almost kind of limited to riding down the towpath and, you know, and he's a roadie at heart. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him about this e-bike motion system and then I lent him, you know, a bike with it on just for a few days riding. And he came back and he was like, I've got to get one of these. Yeah. Because of the heart bracing he had, he has to wear a heart rate. He has to monitor his heart rate all the time, mm-hmm. 24-7. But now he can link it through the bike. So it will never allow him to get above. Yeah, it will never put him in danger. Right. You know, it will give him enough warning to do it. And so it's, that's, you know that's extended his his, his riding life. Mm-hmm. He was so you know he was kind of a bit depressed because he thought oh, I'm going to have to give up. You know I can't ride my bike anymore. Yeah. And now he's got a complete new lease of life. You know mm-hmm. he's talking about going away with his mates to do like a an end to end of Wales on an e bike. You know. Yeah. And this time last year he would have been talking about having to sell all of his bikes and mm-hmm. you know and and consigning yeah. his cycling to history sort of thing. That's so. a benefit of him. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that we're all broadly pro e bike? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. As a kind of something that can extend your ride life. Yeah, you know. as in like your career as a cyclist, yeah. you can go yeah, on for longer. Great. Or as an equaliser between unequal riders. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing. That's the thing, you, you, I, no one ever really, you don't ride on turbo all the time. No. You know, you can go, if, I, I do, can go riding, I, I mean, you do because it's, it's fun. Because it's fun, yeah. Because yeah. you ride on your own a lot. You know, like, if, if, if I go riding with a mate of mine who's faster than me, because he's, you know, like he races on the road, he rides cross country mountain bikes a lot, sort of thing. He's fast up a hill. I can whack it onto that eco mode or like the trail mode or something, 
and not have to like be breathing out of mm. my ass. Yeah, you can it, calibrate or, 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 yeah, to or, level or, the playing field between different riders of all types. Yeah, it's yeah. very true. Mm. Yeah, and I also think it, you know, it 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 broadens people's horizons as well. I mean, if um, it's a few years ago now, and I was in a I was on a launch in Austria, and there's a climb there called the Kitzbühelhorn, which mm. is horrible. That's it's where I took su- the giant road yeah. bikes, and right. that is super, yeah. super, super steep, and it's a painful climb. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. genuinely, absolutely. It's, it's the climb. worst climb I've ever done. Yeah, it's one of those. You know, most climbs that you get to the top and you go, oh, I've got a sense of achievement. I've yeah, really yeah. done. I've, you know, now that's brilliant. I got stuff it and went never again. <laughs> this thing's horrible. And I was riding a you know super light bike because I was out there um, a couple of days after a launch, and you know, and I got overtaken on that climb three times by the same couple. Mm-hmm. On Kalkoff e-bikes, and they must have been in their you know late sixties, seventies. Yeah, and these are just city bikes. I city think. bikes, yeah. yeah. And they kept overtaking me, and then they'd stop taking photos on a hairpin, and then they catch me again and go past me again, and it was so soul destroying. <laughs> but and it was kind of I, I was getting quite annoyed by the whole thing. But then actually sat and thought about it, and I thought there's no way they would have ever attempted to ride up that no. if they didn't have e-bikes. Mm. They probably would have driven up it. Yeah, they're living their best cycling life. Yeah. When and, most and, people you know, just give and, up. Yeah, mm. you can't really begrudge people that at all. So in terms of sort of like bikes that have influenced me and like my, my life, like my first ever mountain bike drastically changed my life, okay? Like I wouldn't be doing this job if it wasn't for having a mountain bike, right? I recently got a Reeson Muller multi-charge Vario, okay, which is it's a sit-up-and-beg, super long back-end e-cargo bike, okay? So it's got a... Um, it's a Bosch motor. Uh, it's got a thousand watt hours worth of batteries. It's two batteries, um, and it's got a rear rack that's load rate to sixty kilos. Yeah. So the the, the the idea behind this this bike is that we want to do a feature of can I live without my van for a month? Um, because you know Bristol's quite a hilly place, yeah. right? And I challenge you to sort of you know because you you've got two cars. Yeah, you're only one person. Only yeah. one of them and works, was, to be fair. Yeah, the only <laughs> one works, you know, at a moment. But I was sort of like challenging you, you know, to live without your car. You know, let's yeah. see if you can do it. I mean, I, you know, I mountain bike a lot, you know, and I work in the cycle industry and all that sort of stuff, so I shouldn't be lazy. But I am inherently lazy, right? So if I want to go and work on the car which doesn't work, which is located in a garage two and a half, three miles from my house, I want to go and see my missus who, you know, lives, you know, a couple of miles away, I could jump on my bike. And I do sometimes jump on my bike. But most of the time, I can't be bothered. Because if I'm finishing doing something at like half ten at night and I need to bring back a pair of car wheels because my tyres are knackered, I have to go and drive my van there. Or because it's like three or four quite steep hills from where I live, I'm not cycling for fun when I'm doing that. I'm cycling there because I've just got to get there. So I get in the van. With this e-bike, I literally have barely used the van since I've had it, because it genuinely, like, and I sound like a some preachy thing, it has changed my life in a small way. And it's so much fun. And, like, okay, people stare at you because you're carrying two, like, bike car wheels on the back yeah. of your bike. Or I've made, like, a little bike rack so I can now carry a mountain bike on the back of my bike, you know? And it is the first, you know, I've been doing this, what, five, six years now. This is the only bike I've ever approached the manufacturer and said, when we're done with this test, can I buy it? Because I, I I want that bike. Yeah, it's brilliant. And 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 maybe that is where you know there's plenty of people who listen to this who probably think e-bikes are the spawn of Satan, right? It's, it's cheating. Yeah, it's cheating, or it's not a real sport. I don't care. No, like no. this is transport now. Yeah, yeah. Like this... I mean, yeah, you know, I, I I'm exactly the same feeling because 
you know, I'm lucky that my working week is mainly just testing stuff, mm. like four days a week. But I have to come into the office at least once a week for meetings and to catch up and to make sure, you know, um, make sure the building's not on fire or whatever. Um, so I, because I'm spending those other four days probably riding four or five hours a day, then one day I come into the office, I'm pretty tired. Yeah. I don't want to drive because driving's a nightmare. Um, I don't want to get public transport because it's irregular, overpriced and crowded. Mm-hmm. And so I... You know, I've got an e-bike. It's you know, it's it's British-made one by Sven Cycles. It's like custom steel, but it's a sit-up and beg bike. Yeah. Shimano, you know, Shimano equipped, but it's got the Enduro battery on it, so mm-hmm. I've got a range. Because I'm, you know, I live like thirty miles away from the office, so a sixty-mile round trip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've mounted a beer crate on on the porter rack on the front, which my rucksack can go in. You know, so I'm not having to carry anything. You know, and get a sweaty back. I can just cruise into work at yeah. You know, fifteen and a half miles an hour. You know, taking in the taking in the sunshine and you know arriving to work fresh, yeah, and and just go well, yeah, you know, and it's a car replacement. It's just a, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a great thing. I mean, a few years ago, um, I bought my mum an e-bike because yeah. she'd always been really, really active. But since you know, since retiring, um, on a daily basis, she she would go and my dad runs a an art studio. He's a, he's an artist, um, but my mum would go and like run things for him. So she'd do the books and she'd mm-hmm. make the tea for the students and you know just keep it generally running. And it's only like six miles away from where they live, and they live in Lincolnshire, so it's pancake flat. Mm. But she was driving every single day those six miles each way, and so I got this e-bike for Christmas a few years ago, and she called me like three months later, sold my car, I never use it. Yeah, and it's brilliant, you know. And so she's got like a little shopping basket on the front that she puts the dog in. Mm-hmm. She, she goes to the, you know, she goes to the studio. She, you know, she rides out to the fields to take the dog for a walk, and she's it's again, it's completely transformed. Yeah, the, the way she lives to the point where she went, I just don't need this car anymore. And got rid of it. And got rid of it. And she doesn't care about philosophical discussions about whether it's really cycling or not because why it just doesn't it's matter. It's just transport. No. Yeah, it's, it's just a, transport. You know, when you think about it, rationally, it's a car off the road. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've sold these bikes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, there's nothing more to say on the subject. <laughs> so we've got three helmets on, on the table in front of us. We thought we'd try and bring some along to talk about. It's good to have props in an entirely audio-based format. Yeah, most definitely, yeah. <laughs> and what we will do is in the in the Bike Radar article that's linked to this podcast, we will put pictures um, of the bikes. We'll put links to obviously where you can sort of find reviews and all this sort of stuff. So th- there will be a fully-fledged radar article with it. Um, so this, uh, we're going to talk about helmet tech because it's a couple of weeks ago or a month or so ago, Bontrager had this wave cell thing come out. Um, since then... Um, other companies, Coroid, Mips, they've all had a bit of a, a bitch and moan about all the claims and stuff because, you know, WaveSell made some big claims. Um, the helmets are obviously super, super important when you're, when you're riding a bike because if you fall off, you don't want to crack your head open. So what's going on in the world of helmets? What have we got? Well, I think, you know, the unifying factor between all this latest helmet technology, it's all about preventing those rotational forces or mm. reducing those rotational forces, be it Mips, be it WaveSell, be it Cali's, um LDL. LDM? Low, low density layer? Yeah. I think oh, okay. LDL. Yeah. LDL. You know, they're all trying to prevent the same, mm-hmm. you know, concussive rotation of injury. And the, these injuries, so traditionally helmets, you know, someone basically, to test it, bonked a, uh, you know, a hammer on the helmet and saw how much the foam compressed. Or, or dropped it yeah. from yeah. a couple drop of metres yeah. or whatever. Drop it from yeah. a, and what or we're drop talking a weight about, on it. What we're talking about now then is... You know, when you fall off a bike, there's there's a vertical sort of impact down, but you're also moving. So there's a, t- a twisting effect or a shear force on the helmet when you hit the ground. And this was something that now helmet manufacturers have decided this is important because this is, 
hugely important when it comes to concussion, right? Yeah. Obviously, the biggest, most well-known of it was MIPS, where mm. their, you know, their original systems allowed for that little bit of movement because it was anchored by basically like you know small elastic little bands. Grommets. Yeah, yeah. Um, but MIPS has come on a long way when you've seen what Giro have done with the Aether, where they've kind of integrated it into the foam. Yes, it's so you've got two planes, so the actual helmet can move. Yeah, or what Specialized have done with their their new high end MIPS offerings, um, where the MIPS system is integrated into the pad itself. Mm-hmm. So you, one of the things that we always found with the earlier kind of MIPS designs was they were considerably sweatier mm. than because you had a piece of plastic sitting against your head. Your head, and now they seem to have, unlike the new Specialized ones, they seem to have eliminated most of that. Mm. Um, wave cell. It's, it's a similar thing, but they replaced the foam basically with with this kind of wave pattern, which is similar to the, you know, it's like a wave pattern, sort of almost like a honeycomb. Yeah. Whereas choroid is like basically a honeycomb. choroid is, is drinking straws. It effectively, it looks like yeah, 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 chopped up drinking straws. And that that's been around now for like four or five years. Yeah. You know, Smith have used it to sort of. They're probably the biggest or the first people yeah, yeah. to really start using it. Yeah. And it's quite distinctive is Corridor and Wave Cell as well because it uses sort of bright green sort of looking material. So through the sort of the outer EPS layer, you, you can see this green yeah, honeycomb or whatever. Yeah. And then Callius is probably the, the, the one that's the most kind of stealthy, you know, because mm-hmm. effectively they, they call it their low density layer. Um, but the, the bit that you can see is effectively like little kind of like almost like octopus-like suckers that are positioned mm. around the inside of the helmet. And these can twist, they can compress, they can stretch. And so you get that same kind of, you know, rotational impact force reduction. Mm-hmm. Or claimed at least. Or claimed at least, yeah, yeah. And then specialised have gone a step further as well. So the, the, there's these materials that reduce these twisting impacts. And then, you know, and everyone's got their competing claims and, and X, Y, Z. But specialised have gone that step further with a little widget on the back of the helmet. Yeah, Angie. Angie. Yeah. And so Angie is it's accelerometers. It's linked to yeah. It's a, it's a, you know it's a small little electronic device which effectively could be retrofitted to, mm-hmm. to pretty much anything. I think you know I, I saw some of the early kind of development work that Specialized were doing on that, and it was basically that Angie unit super glued to the side of a helmet. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't have like a special port or, or, or thing it sat on. So they. And it was available previously because it's a company that specialised acquire as an aftermarket product that you mm. could fit onto your own helmet. But basically, yeah, it's a GPS tracker. It's an accelerometer. So it can detect when you crash mm-hmm. and it, it will, via your phone and via the, mm-hmm. the company and app, it will ping out, you know, a signal showing where you are. You know, if, you, if you've had a, you know, if it's detected a big crash and then there's no movement afterwards, it's all, you know, it sends up like an alert beacon. It will also send messages to... Your nearest and dearest, your you know, okay. um, saying you know something's happened, mm-hmm. um, and that does actually work. I know that works because I, I had a bit of an off in Belgium a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. where I got clipped by a bus. wasn't on the cobbles, which was annoying. I got through all the cobbles with no trouble, <laughs> and I was riding through a city in the rain, and a, a bus pulled out of me and clipped me, and I went down quite hard, yeah. put a dent inside the helmet, and then my wife called me about. Three, four minutes later, going, you're right. I've just had a message. So it actually worked. So it actually worked. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And can you can you turn that off though? Because if you're you yeah, know, yeah. if you're riding with mates, then do you want that going on all the time? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Presumably for mountain biking, where you fall off a lot, that could be an issue. We don't all fall off a lot. Well, I do. <laughs> but for one of those things where you know, if you spend a lot of time riding on your own, it's a, you know, it is a potential lifesaver. Mm-hmm. And 
I guess that, I mean, that technology, the technology itself isn't particularly new. You know, spot trackers for, have been around for ages. I mean, you can, get, you can basically get the same system, well, a similar thing running on your Garmin. Right. And I think Strava even offers like a, you know, a kind of... I mean, presumably there are apps that do this as well, because yeah, all yeah. phones have accelerometers, so they can detect when you... Yeah, yeah, I think so. But probably. I guess it's just, you know, having it on that piece of safety equipment, it's less likely to be set off by accident. Mm-hmm. Like if you drop your phone, it might that might trigger yeah. it or whatever. But I think um, anything that's purported to make things safer, mm-hmm. I kind of agree with. Are there any? Is there anything else that we've seen recently that's on its way for making things? I mean, the the classic thing for years ago was that airbag sort of helmet that yeah, yeah. you know, which is I, still around. I think yeah. I spoke to them a f- like a few months ago. Like I got Hofting. an email or something. And there's V2 or V3 mm. or something on yeah. its way, I don't know. But that does mean you have to wear a collar around your neck with an airbag in it at all times, yeah. which does... It's not something you want to do for sporty cycling, let's no, say. No, it kind of looks a bit scarfy. You know, they do, they yeah. do hide it quite well. I mean, being again, yeah, Scandinavian, again, it's very stylish. Yeah, yeah. Again, my, my wife's got one for when she's just riding from the train station to her work, which is yeah. about three or four miles. She's doing it on a folder. Mm. And, you know, she complains when she has to wear a helmet most mm. of the time. So she just wears that. Mm-hmm. And, hasn't yeah. tested it yet. No, but that's the weird thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. You just you just go, but then you know, do you test the airbags in your car? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just sort of go, well, I think they're going to work. Did when when it, when that first came? It was like five or six years ago. Did we not get? Like, was it Tom Ballard or someone to go over go over the bars or something? Did they set one off? Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. Remember. If there is, we'll put it in the link. So we'll I'm pretty sure. We've... Yeah. There's a photo of me somewhere at Eurobike wearing one that's been set off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. They didn't let me set one off just for funsies. Okay. Yeah, is is there anything else? I remember seeing at Eurobike three or four years ago some company making like beanbag type helmets for the same same sort of thing as all this, like yeah. loads of little balls yeah. in a sort of semi structured sort of shell. Well, you've got the the the, the British startup, haven't you, um, Hexo? Okay, who are doing three D basically three D scan of your head, and then they're mm-hmm. making a custom helmet to fit you. Okay. I went down to see them last year because mm-hmm. um, they were out of. Um, out of the uh, University of London. So I went to their tech lab with the 3D printers and they scanned my head and then they they basically 3D print a helmet that absolutely is, like, is full match to you. Okay, so does that mean that they can then, presumably they would keep your head scan on file? Yes. So if you want a ski helmet, they could do that? Yeah, I mean, this is their kind of, their long-term plan. I mean, it's not a cheap thing. It's like, I think it's 400 quid to get get that helmet. But your file is is on file. Right. So you could get, a, a, you know, a ski helmet, a cycling helmet, um, the guy who started it is like a uh, really keen canoeist and rower. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he's like, oh, you know, we want them for water sport stuff as well. Okay. But then he's, they're not even out rolling like motorbike helmets and, mm-hmm. and things like that made out of the same stuff. Because he's, you know, he's like a, he did like a doctorate in material science at, at Oxford. Mm-hmm. And when you talk, talk to those guys about it, his main thing is that basically what helmets are traditionally made out of, the EPS foam that they're all made out of. It's absolutely the wrong material to make okay. head protection out of because it was never designed to to work in in the form it's in in a, mm-hmm. in a kind of rounded shapes. That, that the, effectively the polystyrene it's made of was was made for packing fridges, yeah, and TVs and you know it was for you know packing inside of boxes. Um, mm-hmm. So his whole thing was there must be something better, and he has come up with something that's kind of almost like a honeycomb kind of shape. Yeah, but it um it, it and it's three D printed using a uh, it's some sort of um, organic bean material, so mm-hmm. it's completely recyclable as well. Okay. Um, and so it's got a lot of interesting things going for it. Um, I should be catching up with them again soon because they're now actually starting to get into production. Mm-hmm. Um, 
basically can imagine 3D printing helmets. Yeah. Actually quite a lengthy process. So Okay. So they they came in, did they? They did. They 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 came Mildred in to see us. Yeah. So we've had some other other guys in the office have been scanned as well. So yeah. we'll see what they give. Yeah. But I'm interested to see if that if that technology yeah. plays out. Because the other thing they were saying is that sort of head form inner structure that you've got, and then the cover is basically like a traditional helmet cover that you clip over it. Mm. They're almost saying, well, that could be interchangeable as well. Right. So you could have like this central core mm-hmm. and you have a road helmet that's nice and airy, but then you could have an Enduro helmet, which comes a bit lower down at the back. Yeah. and An aero like tail. Yeah. yeah. Or you could have a TT helmet all using this this one inner and then you can just, you know, like a yeah. modular system. So it's got, you know, it's a really high initial mm-hmm. out, outlay, but that's it should be the best fitting helmet you ever have because it's yeah fitted to your, you know, your exact dimensions, as it were. There have been quite a lot of attempts in recent years to make so-called smart helmets. Um, I'm wondering what we think of those. Personally, I'm quite sceptical because they tend to include stuff like adding bone conduction for listening to music yeah, or yeah. getting calls and stuff, or some of them did the accident detection stuff as well. Yeah. Part of me thinks, do I want to overcomplicate a helmet this much? Do I want to have to charge my bike helmet, which is normally just something I stick yeah. on my head and yeah. take off at the end of a ride? What do you think about those, Warren? Oh, I've tried that. The the one with the bow conduction speakers in the straps. And it's pretty good, mm. but um, you have to be really, really particular about when you put your helmet on. You can't just like chuck it on and go like that. You have to sit there adjusting the straps because they do have to sit on your cheekbones to actually mm. work. Um, otherwise, if, you're, you know, if your straps are slightly flapping about or you wear the wrong glasses, you know, and it pulls it away, you're just like, going, I can't hear anything. And you're constantly riding along, like kind of squash it into the side of your head. Mm. So the theory about it, I think it's pretty, pretty neat. Um, and integrating a power source into it is good. And I think the later version that they did integrated lights, which I think is a great, yeah. you know, any kind of safety aspect to that. A little bit like the new Laser Century where they've integrated. So you, you don't mind having all that tech packed into your helmet? I though. like the idea of anything that adds more safety. I think, you know, building in headphones is a bit odd. A bit gimmicky. A bit gimmicky. But I think if it's got, you know, a, a, if it doesn't have too much impact on, I don't even, even if it did have an impact on weight, it doesn't really matter. You know, if it's got a light in it, if you've got like a rear, you know, a rear flashing light, which just makes you even safer on the road, that's a great thing. You know, and most of the, you know, the big brands like Met and Limar and guys like that offer like an aftermarket plug-in that fits onto, you know, fits onto the adjuster with a light in it. And, you know, why not? Anything that's just going to make you more visible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, can't be a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything that prevents the helmet having to be used for its intended purpose has got to be good, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of things with high initial outlay, uh, but step change in, in tech. Obviously, one of the biggest releases of the past couple of months was SRAM Access. They're 12-speed uh, wireless group sets. They're, they've gone on the red on the road, um, and they're also doing XX1 yeah, red and, and Force. Force. Yeah. They're also doing XX1 and X01 on mountain bike. They, they had the wireless on the road before. It's, it's new in mountain biking, which we haven't seen before. Shimano have had electronic group sets for the mountain bike. SRAM have had their Eagle stuff. You know, with a really wide-ranging cassette, and and now some have obviously done done what they've done. I don't know if we necessarily need to go into all the tech as, as to how it works, but I'm sort of more interested in two or three years' time, where are we going to see bike design going from this? What is the impact going to be on the cycling market of having cable-free, wire-free gear shifting on bikes? I think it's pretty cool. Oh yeah, I think it, it, the the opportunities it, it affords in especially road bike design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty special. It really is, you know. And and I, I and I like the the way that SRAM have approached this with Axis because, you know, what I, 
the one thing that, that people aren't really talking about as much as I thought they would is that it's cross-compatible. Mm. So you can mix and match mountain bike parts with road parts. So if you gravel part. So for to, example. To, to yeah. effectively, yeah, you, you, it just gives you this wealth of opportunity of what you could do. You know, you can go... You can go massive cassette on the back, but then a fairly big gear on the front and create these kind of weird mutant kind of all-road gravelly type bike thing. Mm-hmm. It just gives you the, oh, the opportunity to just weirdly play around with stuff, you know. Yeah, um, uh, quite a high cost. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but but that cost is. I do think that cost will come down. I don't think the fact that that they've reinvented this the the ETAP system. They've gone from eleven to twelve speed, and the the, the whole twelve speed experiment for them hasn't just been about adding another cog. Mm. They've kind of realigned groups, you know, um, uh, gear ranges mm-hmm. because they've been able to go to the mountain bike, like, well, it's XDR for road, but XD drive effectively. So you can yeah. get that 10 tooth on the back. You, you almost have to reconfigure what you think about gearing mm-hmm. because, you know, there's they're, they're sort of equivalency on stuff. If you're looking at, like, probably the most popular gearing for, for riders in the UK would be like a 5236 with an 1128. Yeah. Gives you a nice top top end, gives you a good climbing gear as well. On the SRAM's new like X range stuff, um, you go with a forty eight thirty five front chainrings um, with a ten twenty eight on the back, and that not only gives you a bigger gear, it also gives you a lighter gear at the other end. Mm-hmm. You get a better range, and the gaps between are, are actually closer. Okay. I think you get like seven one tooth jumps, whereas yeah. on a traditional eleven twenty eight set, you get like five mm-hmm. maybe. So it the gear progression's better, mm-hmm. and so they've just approached it. In the same way that they approached the original ETAP, is that like we're going electronic, and whereas both Shimano and Campag, who were there first, what they did with their electronic groups is emulate what the mechanical groups did so with button position, you know, yeah. exactly the same as the trigger in on on Ergo for Campag, and and the same for the STI mm-hmm. and Shimano. When Stram went, well, it's electronic. We don't need four buttons. We just need two. You only ever shift one way, you know. So they kind of stepped away from mm-hmm. from you know just simulating what was out there and came up with something new and I, I think that's the sort of thing that they've done with 12 speed and also because now they've gone 12 speed and almost immediately after they launched red the super high end pro level stuff they came up with force as a direct mm-hmm. competitor to Altegra and the force system shares all the same electronics all the same internals as a more expensive red it's just got more cost effective finishing bits finishing bits yeah, well no it's not as pretty but, but you know it's no, no, it's like it's a very valid but, thing to yeah, do but it's 1300 quid cheaper isn't yeah, it so, uh, rationally speaking you should buy Force. Oh, yeah, I think so. I like think so. like you should buy Altegra, unless yeah. you just have to have Durace. Yeah. Mm. But, I, I, you know, I can see SRAM in the next couple of years or whatever, maybe coming out with a rival ETAP, you know, an even more cost-effective one. Mm-hmm. Because they can plan the economies of scale with the electronics, yeah. just, you know, encase it in smaller bits. Yeah. And then, if, again, if it's all cross-compatible, then you're going to see that kind of upgrade path as well. Yeah. You know, I've bought a rival bike, but when I need to replace my... Rear mech, I'm mm-hmm. going to go for force, or I'm going to go for red, or I'm going to part way or grade it. So I think providing the buy-in from the the industry and from bike designers happens, we could see some big sea changes in in the way things are designed. We're already seeing you know lots and lots of full integration, integrated bars, integrated stems, yeah, you know, and all cable routing that's gone fully internal. Mm-hmm. But whenever you look at like one of those bikes, like um, like the Madone or the Venge or Cannondale's new System 6. When you see the ETAP version, it just looks even cleaner. Yeah. Because it hasn't got to get four cables to go through the internal system. And building it will be a much more pleasant experience as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if you've ever built a bike with ETAP on it, it's it's, it's super it's simple. Right? It's yeah. hilariously quick. You just sort of like, oh, I've, I've finished. Yeah. Oh, how did that happen? You know, yeah. and 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 that must be a pull for for manufacturers. Yeah, if you because down, it makes the production down. line look quicker. Not only that, fast. but also for for when it gets into stores. Yeah, because obviously there's a cost. If you go and buy a bike in your in your local shop, there's a cost to get the mechanic to build that bike for you. Yeah, if this build time is cut in half, effectively the shop's going to make. Mm-hmm. more money and realistically with, with the super integrated bike that build time will be cut in half because yeah, yeah. so much time is spent threading threading cables, cables threading and... hoses and yeah all that it's mm. so it's, it's interesting to actually see what you know the, their their approach on it it definitely seems that like from the mountain bike side as well like the the integration that and the way that SRAM seem to sort of think about the development of the products is is slightly more or slightly less traditional than Shimano I think it's because they're sort of upstarts yeah, in the in the they they've got a bit more attitude industry. about, and it doesn't necessarily make them better in, in some no, ways. No, no, it does make them very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, with with a mountain bike one, you, you've obviously got the you know you mentioned earlier about the way the levers are differently shaped from traditional ones. On the mountain bike one, it's like this this funny sort of right angle paddle that you sort of flip up or flip down. Whereas when Shimano had Di two with the XTR, it was like it was a, a regular ish paddle shifter that frankly didn't feel very good. Whereas SRAM have gone for a much simpler sort of like flip it up, flip it down. And there's like a little button on the back, and then they've integrated the re- the reverb into it as well. So they've thought about the whole system here. Yeah. The, the only thing they haven't done is integrate any sort of electronic damping into their forks and shocks. But you've got you, to think that could be coming. It's got to come because Fox have done it. Yeah. So if they want to sort of you know, Shimano have done Di two, SRAM have eventually done Access, Fox have done Live Valve. There's got to be something. And I think, you know, well, you know, I'm just talking from the road side of things about the way that things can be integrated and, and it's kind of freed up design. It's a bit like how the switch to disc brakes mm-hmm. as freed up, especially aero road bike design. If you look at the first generation of the aero Madones, you know, with the integrated brake system, with the kind of little gurney flap things going on, such a complex bike, mm. a brilliant technical achievement, but so complex. Now you look at the new Madone that's disc only, it just looks phenomenally better. It looks looks less daunting to own. Mm-hmm. You look at it and go, well, it just looks super simple, super clean. Yeah. Whereas you're looking at, you know, oh, if I want to adjust my front brake, what do I do with these these spring loaded flaps? Mm-hmm. You know, and all this. How do I even get at it? That's sort of, and it's kind of a bit overwhelming. But I think on a mountain bike side as well, you know, if you're going for the wireless system, mountain bike frame sets are with you know complex linkages and suspension yeah. systems inherently more difficult to. To route cabling, yeah, because you have to account for the growth of cables. You yeah, know, ghost shifting was definitely ghost shifting is maybe not a thing these days so much, but stiff shifting. But just just for the designers and engineers to work out, you know, everybody, uh, be it a good or bad thing, wants internal cable routing because it's kind of yeah, it look it looks cooler, whatever. You know, if you're riding in mud and dirt the whole time, you're keeping those cables clean because they're out of way. Mm. But the complexities of thinking, how on earth do we route these through here to make, get them to where we yeah. need to go, and all the challenges that faces because you're you're th- internally threading through moving parts, mm. you do away with that whole element, and it's got a free up suspension design. Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, the next big thing would be electronic brakes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a slightly harder sell. Uh, yeah. Total hard, break, yeah. Break yeah. Can you imagine like, that? That would just make bike manufacturers so much easier. I've spent so much time recently trying to thread hydraulic hoses through the back of a frame it's been an absolute nightmare recently but yeah so yeah it's obviously going to make life a lot easier if it can trickle down because obviously very few manufacturers will only make a frame for an electronic group so they have to make it so that it's compatible with xyz but But weirdly not unheard of it's like um 
when the first generation of ETAP was imminent, I was out in, in Germany visiting the guys from Focus. And um, then the the product leader on, on Focus Road Bikes there um, like, took me aside and showed me like a bike that they were working on, which was the Azalco Max. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'd made an Azalco Max specifically for ETAP. Okay. And so they eliminated all the holes that it needed for the internal room for, for gear cabling. And I was like, well, that looks really cool. And, it looks really... and he said, yeah, best thing is I've shaved 80 grams off this frame. Because you, every time you put a hole in it, you have to reinforce the carbon yeah. around it. And he said, because we've done that, I've dropped 80 grams out of this frame. And bear in mind, that frame was sub 800 grams anyway. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know. Big, big change. It was huge. You yeah. know, it was a huge gain for very little, mm-hmm. you know, kind of um, development work. Yeah. Um, but it's never going to be the driving force of all bike design because Shimano are the biggest players in the market. Mm. Is, is there anything, like, I know you and Jack's... Uh, often look at patents and stuff. Is there anything from Shimano that... We've not got any solid evidence that they're going to go wireless. And I've asked, um, I've asked them directly about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, and, Shimano and... is famously secretive about yeah, yeah. stuff. About but everything, yeah. Basically, no, we don't, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be a logical step, but it would be a huge, huge change that comes completely away from how they've standardised things with their e-tube system in DI2. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe maybe Dura Ace yeah. ninety two hundred will be wireless, but I don't know. We'll hopefully see that next year because that would fit their That's usual life years, cycle. Year. I mean, I think what well, I think, five, I think, yeah, next year will be five years since Dura Ace ninety one hundred. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, but I think what we're more likely to see is them integrating more of those things that they've kind of bolted into the the i two than them go fully wireless. Okay, you know, um, because we've already got systems out there that are kind of part wireless. You know, like. FSA, you know, Visions, Visions mm-hmm. Wii group, that effectively is wired from battery to MEX, mm-hmm. but wireless operation from the shifters to the mm-hmm. MEX. And I've used that, I've used that quite a lot, and it does work, and it is pretty good. Yeah. You know, it's got a real snappy, fast shift speed yeah. to it, but I, you know, you, you almost never see it, mm-hmm. you know. I know it exists, I know, I know it exists because I rode it for six months. But I've never seen it equipped, you know, equipped on a bike or... Why Why is that though? Like, I mean, you see it a lot with, you know, there's companies that are sort of quite big but still relatively niche, if you know what I mean. Like, bike manufacturers seem to play it safe. They use SRAM and Shimano, Fox and RockShox, you know. But out there, you know, there is like... I mean, Rota have a, a group set, FSA have a group set, you know, suspension. You know, there's, so, there's loads of different brands. Why is it that manufacturers stick to sort of those knowns, do you think? I guess it's ease of parts availability for, for, for spares, warranty issues, all that sort of stuff. Being risk-averse as well. I mean, I mean, To a certain extent, you've got to be pretty risk-averse. Yeah, you can't bring out a whole lineup of bikes with hydraulic rotor shifting yeah. because a significant proportion of your market will say, that's insane, I don't want that. So you spec a mainstream Shimano or SRAM group set. Mm-hmm. It's the safe option. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that reflects back onto you know, what is going to happen in the, in the industry because we are seeing a lot more shift from some of the really big players out there and not to a custom offering, mm-hmm. but certainly a semi-custom, you know, customizable. So, customizable. It's like the, you know, obviously Pioneer would trek with their project one thing, but then you've got Orbea with my own mm-hmm. or my O, whatever it's called, where, you know, you buy that base model bike and then you go, well, actually I want better wheels or mm-hmm. I'd like a different paint job or even I'd like my name painted on it and they can do it. They'll do all that for you and you can pick and choose and select what you want. And I kind of see that, happening more and more mm-hmm. especially as you know some of the big manufacturers even through their, their dealer network are going to almost do a, a click and collect kind of yeah you know, so they you want get... it to be like buying a tesla 
or something, yeah. don't they? So that's that's got, the sort yeah. of aspirational experience. Yeah. So there's almost kind for. of a, you know, like a modular, mm-hmm. a, a modular purchase sort of thing. So and that's where we see concept stores and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to milk a lot of money out of rich bike buyers as well, because there is real money to be made at that high end. I where mean, that, the margins yeah. must be quite healthy. I would have thought at the ten grand. Yeah, ten grand level I mean, of it, bike manufacturer. But that's you know that 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 brings on to one of those things we were going to talk about 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 the. There is price inflation in, in, in bikes. If we go back, you know, so I've been doing this a long time, but if we go back like five years, mm. there were no brands, none of the big players. There was no giant specialised Trek, you know, uh, Cannondale offering a £10,000 bike. Mm. Now, everybody's top-end bike is very close to ten grand, or it's over ten grand. Yeah, And you're just going... Well, how did this happen? You know, this inflation. But at the lower end, bikes are amazing now. Yeah. There is that side of it. I mean, I think, yeah, that low end, I mean, because it's got so competitive with a lot of the big online players, you know, with the the canyons, the roses, um, you know, and some of the, you know, smaller challenges in that market, the ribbles and, Mm. you know, I've really, really set a cat among the pigeons. And then you've got this super cheap end, you know, huge stores like Decathlon. Yeah, who are bringing out Really quite, yeah, quite good bikes. bikes some yeah. of the best bikes you can get for the money. Yeah. yeah Ridiculously yeah. good bikes. Yeah. And so that that low end has been quite disruptive and everybody's had to react to it. Mm. But I think where things, especially on the road, seem to be suffering is that kind of core price that when you buy your first real serious road bike. So mm. it's that between two, three grand kind of price. It's suffering. It's, you know, it used to be two grand to three grand it was the Ultegra through and through. Mm. Now, it's only when you're getting up to the three grand market when you're getting Ultegra. It's now it's 105. But is that because those thousand pound bikes are so good that they can be your first serious? That's got to be part of it. I think it might be part of it. I think there's a, there's been an, there's been a, an, uh, there's always been an escalation of what the market can sell mm. because when you talk to most of the big players out there, they're all really talking about very, very buoyant sales mm. at the super high end. They're, they're, you know, they're all. Some of them even seem quite surprised that they're selling so many really seriously expensive bikes. We're talking like over six grand kind of yeah. point, and they're going, "Well, we're selling so many of these bikes." In in is that in sort of they're saying they're saying they're selling so many of them? Is that because they're they're selling out because they make relatively few of, of them? Of course, it's not a big volume, mm. but they're still you know they're still selling. They're not struggling to. They're not struggling to sell expensive bikes. Yeah. I mean, if you if you. You know, go any any trail centre on a mountain bike. You you're guaranteed to see a Santa Cruz multiple. For, I mean, not yeah. not picking on Santa Cruz, but like brands like Santa Cruz who are almost exclusively sort of high end, awful value for money, but they they do not seem to have an issue selling those bikes. No, no, I, I'm and not. Who, I, who's buying them? I, well, I'm not sure. People that, with money, yeah. people with money, or people with not percent, maybe. True. Yeah, I mean, finance is a whole side of it that yeah, we yeah. don't really talk about very much. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of people probably do finance their bikes. And is that an issue? Like, I think it's very easy, sort of. You know, like, I, if I went out and bought a bike now, I, I wouldn't spend six grand on a bike because I, I don't have six grand spare cash. Is it? You know, like, I, we're not judging. It, it's fine to buy those bikes. No, we is. want people to buy those bikes because yeah, it's good for the cycling is, you know. industry. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think you know, if it's cycling is your, your passion, your major hobby, is the one thing that you love to do. You're going to want to spend as much as you can yeah. on it. You're going to want the best that you can... And six grand's a lot of money, but, it you know, money, yeah. it's, it's nothing to a car or something or even a decent motorbike. Mm-hmm. So, 
get a sense of perspective. Like, yeah. It's actually well within the reach of a lot of people yeah. if they want it badly yeah. enough, but it's, which a lot of people don't. But I think there's there's also there's an element of, of I think that the humble bicycle, the perception of it has changed somewhat yeah. over recent years. And be it, you know, through the success of British Cycling, the success of Team Sky and, mm-hmm. and that whole thing about cycling being the new golf and the whole mammal kind of, you know, thing. I think the perception of, of the humble bicycle has changed quite a lot. You know, you don't have to look at um, the investment that came into Pinarello from Caston, which is a you know US investment group. Their biggest other owning is LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy. It's a luxury group. They own mm-hmm. Hublot watches, Tag Her, Moet and Chandon. You know, lots of really high end you know jewelry and and you know fragrance brands and all that sort of stuff. You know, the absolute luxury end of the market. Yeah. You know, this is this is you know. Yeah, most of their customers are, you know, like super, super rich. Mm-hmm. And for them to go, well, actually, Pinarello, this humble bike brand from Italy, they can fit in with, you know, $100,000 watches and, yeah. you know, champagne that, that costs as much as you earn in a week. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's really bizarre. You know, the way I just, you sort of think that, well, how is this, how has this come to pass? That, yeah. That, what we'd consider as just like a piece of sporting goods, they go, no, no, that's luxury. That's, mm-hmm. that's luxury item, that. You know? Yeah. I guess for us, it's very easy to sort of, you know, if we're writing stories for Radar or Cycling Plus, NBK, whatever, it's very easy to, to look at these Halo products and be like, oh, you know, this 10 grand bike's amazing or, you know, this this 1,500 quid downhill fork or whatever it is, you know. It's really important to bear in mind that, you know, there are still bikes at £1,000, Five hundred pounds yeah, yeah. to you know, like ah, uh, because of this trickle down yeah. effect. So well, like yeah, like we were saying, they are so good. I mean, a thousand pound road bike these days, you can do everything on it. Mm. Realistically, like it's perfectly valid to want something better because you want a super light carbon frame. You want to have Altegral Durace instead of Tiagra One Hundred Five, but you can do everything on that thousand yeah. pound bike, and you will have a great time on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we just look at the, the last few years of. Of, of bike of the year, you know, they're on a roadside between cycling plus and bike radar, you know that that massive test. You know, this year's a little bit different. It was a more expensive bike, but it's effectively three bikes in one. Mm. You know, and that had a sort of decent bearing on it. But if you look at last year, it was, it was a sub two thousand pound giant TCR, phenomenal bike, yeah, absolutely stunning thing. Um, and before that, we had the Cannondale K twelve. You know, yeah. again, it's just an astonishingly good bike that you can get from around twelve hundred quid. Yeah. You know, uh, it's you know the, the actual basis that you've got there to to make something fantastic is just overwhelmingly good. Mm. You know, so they are out there, um, and there are still the you know the big va- big big players in on the value side of things. But you're also seeing like the 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 huge brands are really stepping up their game on that that kind of thing. You know, like Specialized with the Alley. That has always been a great bike, but now it's become a really, really good bike. Yeah. Trex ALRs. Yeah, the Amanda ALR, which I've got as a long term at the moment, it's a fantastic bike. Yeah. And it's, I think, an £800 frame set, or you can buy a full bike for only about 300 quid more or something. Yeah. It's it's incredible and realistically doesn't give up that much next to a three, four, five grand yeah, I bike. Mean, that, but that's the same with anything, really, isn't it? You know, it's like when you're getting into that realm of the, the sort of. Superbike, mm-hmm. it's diminishing returns. Yeah, the gains that it's got, you know, the ga- the gains that say the, I mean, what was the one we did recently? The S Works Venge, astonishingly good bike, but then you get the Venge Pro, and it, they are so so close. Mm. That's always the way, isn't it? You, you just you go, buy the second think, tier bike. I think I go for the Pro. Nobody buys. Well, 
Nobody who has the remotest price sensitivity buys the Halo bike. You buy the second tier bike because it is 99.9% as yeah, yeah. good and usually about half the price. Yeah. Mm. I think we've probably whittled on for just about long enough. You probably come to the end of your commute. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Bike Radar works closely with MBUK and, and Cycling Plus magazine. So I thought we'd just have a quick rundown of what's going to be in the mags that are on sale in the next couple of weeks. Um, so 21st of May, they're both on sale. And Cycling Plus, speaking of race bikes that are actually pretty good value for money. The main test uh, in that magazine, in CP354, is race-ready rigs at two and a half grand. Yeah, two and a half grand or below. So we've got some really interesting ones there, which we've obviously just talked about. We've got the, the specialised LA Sprint, mm-hmm. the disc version, great-looking bike. We've got you know, Cannondale's venerable Super 6 Evo, which mm-hmm. they've got a special edition of. Um, looks amazing. Giant TCR Advance Pro, again, you know, an X bike of the year bike. Um, and then we've got Boardman, Focus, Bianchi, all in there, all mm-hmm. offering bikes that, you know, we, we fully believe that you could you could easily just go out and race on. Happy days. And the second bike test is some e-road bikes as well, so that's another thing we covered today. Yeah. Um, group test, we're looking at the best sunglasses for summer. And in terms of some features going in the mag, there's six gravel rides in the UK, including the Trossachs, Kielder, and London to Brighton. Uh, there's a feature on British e-bike racing champs, uh, that's with Zwift. So if that's interesting, that's in the mag. Um, and there's also a little article on um, sort of the road cycling's diversity problems, so something a little bit more potential, controversial, and a feature on road group sets. Um, in MBUK 369, on sale 21st of May as well, there's a feature with Adam Brayton in the Lake District that sort of shaped him. Something on coaching. Uh, there's a feature I wrote about building alpine bike parks, which I'd say is fun- a fantastic feature, obviously. Um, and then the guys went down to Rogate to ride with Bernard Kerr, Brendog, and Ollie Wilkins. Bike test, enduro bikes, um, three to four, four to five grand. So pretty pricey, but some pretty cool bikes in there. And a flat pedals shoes group test. Um, so yeah, both of those on sale 21st of May, so go and buy them. So that was the end of our first sort of monthly bike radar roundup. Loads of features on bike radar through the month, as always, and look forward to next month's podcast. Please give us five stars and subscribe on whatever platform you're on. That's really important. It helps so much. Don't forget, like and subscribe, as I say, at the end of all our videos on YouTube. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.